Well, hey there, and welcome to First Take, a podcast ministry of First Reformed Presbyterian Church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I'm Assistant Pastor Jim Curtis here with a special guest, former ruling elder Dale McLean, to offer you our take this week on ruling elders, on ruling elders. Well, Dale, uh, just really quickly, thank you for being here. Thanks for doing this really last minute, brother. Uh, I'm so sorry. Um, as we just were talking about, you know, what's going on with uh, Pastor Brent and their friends down in Charlotte. So I appreciate you being able to drive all the way back up from, um, is it Lafayette County, Fayette County? Fayette County. Excuse, I'm from the south, so, you know, Lafayette <laughs> is a big thing down there. So Fayette County, how far away is that now? We're about an hour and 25 minutes away. I mean, that doesn't seem too but bad. We're, we're in the very southern end of Fayette County. We're almost in West Virginia. Okay. So we're, we're close. Well, uh, I appreciate you driving all the way back up. I know you guys had um, some family stuff going on today, but I just appreciate the time to to sit down and to talk about ruling elders. But before we get there, I know everybody at First Reform knows who you are. Um, everybody knows just kind of the influence and the impact you've had, not only on the church uh, in your capacity as ruling elder, but also uh, at Trinity, which I'll get you to explain here in a second. But some of the folks listening don't know that, maybe aren't familiar with uh, you and your impact um, and, and your leadership over the last however many years. So why don't you take us back to uh, when did you get here uh, and then you became a ruling elder? What were you doing for the Christian community in Pittsburgh? Um, why don't you just give us a quick biographical sketch of Dale McLean? Okay, okay, we'll try to be fast. Um, actually, I've been here twice. In uh, 1969, I came to Pittsburgh uh, to teach in a school called uh, the Christian School of Wilkinsburg and became a member here in 1969. was a member through 78 when we moved to uh, Colorado and took a position out there. And it was in 1993 that my wife Linda and I came back from Colorado and I became headmaster at Trinity Christian School, which was the new name mm. of the Christian School of Wilkinsburg. Okay. So I've been here twice, been a member twice. Became an elder about a year after mm. uh, we came back. I thought I should get into the church before mm -hmm. I stood for the office and uh, have been an elder at First Reformed uh, since then. Wow. So uh, that would be 20 uh, what, what is that? Twenty six years. I believe my wife told me it was twenty six. Yes, twenty six years uh, of leadership. Wow, I'm uh, twenty nine years old. So uh, that tells you, I'm, I'm a little, little, I'm a little older than that. Yeah. Jim. <laughs> so uh, uh, huge into Christian education. Um, really monumental in in that regard. My wife taught at Trinity. Uh, mm -hmm. Sadly, after you left, but. Um, uh, so I'm familiar-ish with uh, their model, and um, I just know that they, they're really appreciative of your, your long-standing leadership. How, how long were you at Trinity then, from 93 until? Until uh, 2014. Okay, and then so, again, back in from, 2000, right. from 1969 until 1978, wow. I was there teaching and as an administrator as toward the end of that. It was, it was a wonderful time. Trinity is... Uh, I think a, a blessed school and a mm -hmm. wonderful school based mm -hmm. on uh, biblical and reformed views of life, um, uses the classical Christian model in education, mm -hmm. uh, is diverse in many ways, has a, um, a minority population at the school, and um, it's done very well. God has blessed the school mm -hmm. over the years. I would be remiss not to speak of uh, Calvin Cummings, 
Mm-hmm. Some people know him from his book on the covenants. Mm-hmm. Um, but Cal was the man who started the school in wow. 1953. And I would not have gotten excited and passionate about Christian education if it wasn't for Reverend Cummings. I came here, and uh, he was then involved in the school, and there was no option after mm. <laughs> after I met the man yeah. as far as what was, what was going on. Yeah, and still going strong to this day. Yes, um, it is. Fantastic. Yes, it is. Uh, I, I know that all schools are asking COVID-19 questions and uh, <laughs> just excited to hear that Trinity is going back, I think, next week. They're going back next week. They're going back uh, live, so to speak, in yeah. classroom five days a week. Uh, yeah. They will have a component for those who physically can't be there as far as online, mm-hmm. but uh, now they've got, a, I think, a good plan mm-hmm. laid out. Now, that passion for education has also kind of been um, uh, influential in your life in other areas, too. Uh, I noticed that you serve on the missions committee. We met uh, over a couple of those, and, and there was an organization called Psalm 78 Teachers that you're involved in. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that and your passion for missions? Yeah, maybe go back again to how that all got started. Um, God works in mysterious ways, his mm-hmm. wonders to perform. Yeah. We know that. He's sovereign. We had a daughter who went to Covenant College, and she called us and said, um, uh, Dale, Mom, would you be upset with me if I— went on a mission trip extended to find out if I want to be a missionary. What are you supposed mm. to say? No. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and she, long story short, she ended up in Belize, which is in Central America, and she fell in love with it and wanted to go back. Mm. She met a woman there named Carlos Stevens, Dr. Carlos Stevens, who has a passion for missions and for uh, Christian education. Mm. And so Carla got us started in 2004 going to Belize. We spent a year there helping to start a school, a high school. And then for 12 years, we went back every year. And out of that grew PS78 Teachers. Mm. Um, It was Carla's dream, and we have assisted her. What we do, we have an online master's program Mm -hmm. that's for teachers overseas only, where they can get a master's degree in in biblical studies Mm -hmm. uh, with an education major. And we travel to various places to uh, instruct teachers, uh, to work with parents, and to help establish not only Christian day schools, but homeschool situations, mm-hmm. both of those things. Um, it's been a blessing. Mm. It's been humbling. You know, sometimes when I stand out in the middle of the the, the plains, the Serengeti, you might say, of, mm-hmm. of Africa, and then you say, Lord, why me? You know, mm-hmm. how, did, how did I get to do this? But it's been a blessing. Yeah. It really has. I'm glad that you told me that after I took the job here at First Reform because, you know, my wife's a teacher. We could have gone overseas and found her a job there and gotten the master's degree. That would have been pretty tempting. But, there you uh, go. <laughs> um, but we're thankful for your work. I, I just can't even imagine the impact that that's had on children in various communities throughout the world. Well, you know what's really exciting about it? Um, we've learned that God works everywhere. We know that. People are so much more excited about this kind of education for their children overseas than, sadly, oftentimes the Christian community mm-hmm. here in, in the United States. Yeah. And it is just a wonderful thing to see their passion, their desire, their love of their children, their love of the Lord, mm-hmm. and wanting to see their children grow to be useful in His kingdom. It really is. Wow. Well, uh, as you said, God— works in mysterious ways, but it's uh, after knowing you now for about a year, I guess, uh, a couple weeks ago, 
it's less mysterious to me um, just because I've been able to see um, uh, the clear, not only call, but also the ways in which the Holy Spirit has really shaped and fashioned you into an excellent godly leader, um, one who speaks uh, wisely, um, one who uh, knows when not to speak. You know, that's, that's often the more important skill. Uh, as a young man myself, I'm learning. Um, and uh, um, I've just been blessed to, to sit in on session meetings where you have just offered a great deal of wisdom, um, particularly during you know what everybody is continuing to call unprecedented times with this pandemic. Um, just so thankful to have somebody like you with your experience and, again, that wisdom that you can bring to the table that the Lord has given to you throughout your work with Psalm 78 teachers and uh, through your time at Trinity uh, and, no doubt, wherever you were teaching in Colorado. Um, uh, don't want to leave that off the list. So really that's what we're here to talk about then today, um, Dale. I met you first in your capacity as a ruling elder. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've been a ruling elder now. I think we just found out almost as long as I've been alive. And so you've got a little bit of experience there. Um, so I, I really just have a couple questions uh, for you about eldership that I think our, our listeners might benefit from your unique perspective as one who's lived it and has uh, gone to the meetings and, and really invested. And, and not only that, but again, through uh, what you've done at Trinity, through what you've done in Psalm 78 Teachers and equipping other Christians even outside the local church, I think that's a valuable perspective. So just briefly, would you kind of explain to some people who may not be Presbyterian, who may not be PCA, what do we mean when we say elder? And maybe even what do we mean when we say ruling elder in particular? Okay. Um, elder... We find both in uh, First Timothy and mm. Titus the, mm-hmm. the the guidelines as to uh, what you need to be to be an elder. Um, we believe in the PCA that it's one office. We do have teaching elders and ruling elders, mm-hmm. but it's it's one office, and they're given the responsibility of uh, the spiritual oversight of the church. Mm-hmm. So we are responsible for the spiritual well-being of uh, all of the members mm-hmm. of the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have oversight over them. Um, I also believe that ruling elders have uh, the interesting perspective to maybe keep watch also on uh, the teaching elders, um, the oversight of what is being said in the pulpit. Mm. Um, I think it's one of the strengths of Presbyterianism, and it's a strength certainly of the one office that that as, as one former pastor said it, we are a band of brothers. Mm-hmm. We, we're in this together. Mm-hmm. And um, I would say this uniquely, I think, about the session, the elders here at mm-hmm. First Reformed, is that um, in my time here, we have had our disagreements, mm-hmm. but we've always been able to come together mm-hmm. uh, in love. And I think that's an important aspect of, mm-hmm. of what it means to be an elder. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a high calling. Uh, it's a humbling calling. Mm-hmm. Anyone who aspires to the office because they think it's going to be prestigious mm. have all the wrong ideas yeah. <laughs> about this. Um, we should, of all men, be the most humble in what we do mm. uh, because it's a, a spiritual responsibility that none of us really have a capacity mm-hmm. to fulfill. Mm-hmm. And that's as simple as I can state it. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I remember early, early on in um, one, of, one of my first, you know, being a teaching elder, I was allowed to be, I was an associate pastor at my last church, and I was allowed to sit in, and 
I remember that session meeting just being incredibly boring. Um, I mean, just not fun. Uh, we weren't making these grandiose decisions that a lot of people think elders make, right? You know, we weren't flexing muscles and being powerful. We were talking about policies and procedures with the diaconate. We were talking about um, the doctrine of, of certain organizations requesting to use our facilities. Uh, we were hearing reports of the pastor's lunches. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, if nothing's going to humble an elder, surely a boring session meeting will, right? Surely a nursery policy will humble him from from his thoughts that this is going to be the highest of heights. Um, oh, no, no, no. Leadership in God's church actually means humble service to the children, to the least of those in the congregation. So. Exactly, exactly. Now, if I could expand, you mentioned deacons. I think it's also an important aspect of being an elder um, because I grew up in a situation where it kind of became a part of my thinking that elders were at a higher level mm. than deacons and maybe that deacons even aspired to maybe someday be an elder. Mm-hmm. They're co-equal offices, as, as far as I'm concerned. They each have their capacity. We have oversight over everything as elders, but the deacons are our brothers, mm-hmm. and God's given them a different task, and it's also a high calling. Mm. And not every deacon is intended to be an elder or vice versa. I mean, they're unique offices. I think that's important. And again, here at First Reformed, we've had that kind of relationship mm. with, with the deacons. Yeah, I think that's a good word, um, just talking about the relationship between the two, because I think a lot of people uh, could see the deacons are the ones working out in our courtyard, for example, uh, tomorrow morning, as a matter of fact, um, as we record this on a Friday and uh, they're doing hard labor, right? They're they're fixing toilets, and um, uh, we've we've got an AC repair people out here, and the deacons are taking care of that. And a lot of people could see that as as the lower thing, or or even like you said, maybe even a stepping stone to the real ministry, right? Or what, whatever they want to say. Where in reality, as as a minister who's under those burning lights that we have in the sanctuary, uh, trying to lead worship in my my blazer or my suit jacket, I'm very thankful the deacons are serving me in getting that AC fixed for this Sunday. You know, and I can only imagine the people who are, are actually in the part of the sanctuary that's affected by it. Um, and to me, that's way more important in that <laughs> moment in particular, right? Um, but but seeing them not as, as our servants, right? No. But rather brothers in the same ministry, just with differing um, uh, emphases, Right, the spiritual oversight, the the overall direction of the local church belongs with the elders, and then the material, physical needs um, with the diaconate. And in fact, um, uh, the PCA's governing document, the Book of Church Order, says that if you can't have a diaconate, all of those responsibilities are the elders. Uh, and I, I think that's a that's a really important facet here. So um, this may be kind of a weird question. Uh, I'm very interested to see where you go with this. Walk me through just a normal life of a ruling elder. What is it? What does it mean when uh, you said you got here in '93? Oh, well, excuse me, you came back in '93, and then you waited a year uh, before taking up the office and serving as a ruling elder. How did your life change from a, just a church member um, who was interested and qualified for office, but then once you became ordained as a ruling elder, what, what changed? What What does your life look like as a ruling elder? That's really a good, that's an interesting question. <laughs> in many ways, it looks the same, I'm sure, on the outside to people. Um, there is an added 
um, I don't want to call it a burden. There's an added responsibility, mm. I think is a better word, to your life. You, you understand that um, as you come to worship on Sunday, people are going to be observing you. Mm. Mm-hmm. And um, and so you need to be aware of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think your heart, at least it should, become more uh, concerned mm-hmm. about individuals within the congregation. Mm-hmm. Um, I would be lying if I didn't admit that sometimes you feel a lot more pressure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess from that standpoint, there is a burden. Yeah. Um, you carry more with you because you now know what's going on in the church. You know mm-hmm. about discipline situations. You know about um, illnesses that maybe no one else knows about. Um, and, and so it gives you a, a different, a deeper, perhaps, perspective and understanding about what's going on mm-hmm. uh, in God's church. Mm-hmm. In addition to just the obvious ones, right? You're serving the Lord's Supper. You're having to set aside time for session meetings. Um, I think a lot of times... Uh, we could sit down, you know, Pastor Brent and I could sit down and maybe we will and do more of a doctrinal episode uh, on the Office of Ruling Elder. But I think that's really great to hear from a ruling elder and say that there's um, a responsibility. There's there's nights maybe where you were thinking about things uh, where you weren't at church. Uh, there was no meeting that night, but something was was really burdening your soul to take somebody to prayer. Um, no doubt many late night phone I was, say, I was just going to say, I mean, your phone rings. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you get called out mm. and, and that type of thing. I don't think most people are totally aware of that, mm. but it's no dif- different with a with a t- teaching elder. I yeah, mean, but we get paid for it, right? <laughs> we, <laughs> that's what I've heard anyway. So, But I think, but, but you know, if I can kind of give it back to you, there's probably more of that kind of pressure mm. for you all because whether people – cognitively understand it's one office, members in a church kind of look at the teaching elder as their pastor. Mm-hmm. And so you can say all you want, Dale McLean is your elder, mm. and I want to talk to you. Yeah, <laughs> that a, kind of thing. There is a difference, you know, Pastor Brent being the senior minister, being the primary preaching pastor here. Um, if he's here, he's preaching basically, right? And, uh, uh, you know, he's probably the most visible elder, Right. Not probably. He definitely is the most visible elder um, in our church. And th- I think that's a good thing, generally speaking. He's a minister of the word and, and sacrament. He's the one preaching the word and administering the sacraments with the help and, and the, in the oversight, as you mentioned earlier, uh, of the, the broader group of elders, the, the session, um, which is uh, overwhelmingly ruling elder uh, oriented. Um, but but I, I think when we, when we talk about how to call a ruling elder, we ask the congregation. We say, who among you uh, meets qualifications? Um, and and I, think, I think that's probably the easier one out of these two. Um, meeting qualifications, because we have that list. Who do you trust? Um, who, do, who do you see already kind of caring for people in the congregation? Already kind of burdening themselves, if you will. Um, uh, though we don't mean it in the totally negative sense that that word can carry. Um, uh, burdening themselves with the love and the care of the congregation. Um, and so here at FRPC, what did that look like, caring for people? Um, saying hello on Sunday mornings, but surely there was other, other stuff going on. What did that look like? Well, 
again, you know, we have a we believe in the concept of uh, under shepherd elders. Mm-hmm. I mean, elders have responsibility for the people. Everybody has responsibility for a specific group mm-hmm. of people, and so it is staying in touch with them. It's uh, communicating not not just on Sunday morning, but but uh, via in this modern time, more difficult for an old guy, but you know through mm-hmm. texting. And and through email and phone calls and and, and that type of that's thing. why you hire twenty nine year old pastors to help you guys with that, right? <laughs> navigate all of that. Yeah. But you know, and here we use what we call the parish model mm-hmm. to do that. Mm-hmm. But um, the responsibility in my mind, my heart, of, of a ruling elder, as far as the people are concerned, is to um, try to develop a personal relationship. Mm. Uh, impossible on a close level with everybody in a congregation our size, but certainly with those who are in your group mm. to do that. Mm. And so historically, Presbyterians would have affirmed this idea of visitation mm-hmm. of elders, um, not being overbearing, but wanting to see family life, wanting to, to interact with people and and hear uh, their complaints, which can come often and maybe perhaps a bit too swiftly, or hear their needs, which come less swiftly, I've learned in my few years of ministry, um, because that can be embarrassing, right? Mm-hmm. But if it's somebody you trust, if it's somebody that, that has been selected from among you, that's different. Contrasting, of course, with teaching elders who you form a committee, and it's somebody you don't know, and then you interview, and you know, and all of that. Um, so you mentioned the parish model. Uh, we have parish groups here. The last church I was at, we had shepherding groups, which looked pretty different. There, they meant that an elder had a list by himself. Each elder had a um, kind of a an assigned group of people, and he was the only elder. We tried to put deacons in those groups to try and mm-hmm. pair, pair it up, but each elder has their own list. That's a little different than what it looks like here. You want to explain maybe the parish model we have now, and then how long have we had that? How did that come about? You know, I want to say maybe about 10 years. Okay. I could be off. Again, when you get older, time. <laughs> um, we also had what we called the under-shepherd or the shepherd groups. Mm-hmm. And it was actually a, a brother elder, uh, Brian Dutton, who uh, came to the, the session with the idea of parish groups. Mm-hmm. And uh, they used this model at 10th Pres, Dr. Boyce's church mm-hmm. in uh, Philadelphia. He began it when he was alive. And um, so it was Brian that brought the idea. And the idea of the parish model is to have geographic groups instead of just assigning people Mm. uh, to various elders. And that the elders and the deacons in that specific geographic area have oversight of the people that live there. And um, it's a model that was used by the Puritans. Mm. Um, When we first went to it, some people thought we were leaving Protestantism. Because in Western Pennsylvania, we tend to think of parishes as mm. connected to the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, but the parish, I mean, it just simply means a, a geographical area. Mm. And it was, um, um, I, I believe it was uh, Dixon, David Dixon, that used this model. Um, and other Puritans also used it. So in those groups, rather than maybe the more shepherding group model, if we can just use that terminology where it's one elder group of people assigned to him, this one could be several elders in a geographic area um, around the church. Uh, and basically, you join the church, you live in that area. There's That's no lottery system. There's no draft, right? right? Um, you're just automatically in. 
Um, how had did the, in that change? How did that change the the shepherding ministry of, of the ruling elders here at FRPC? I I think especially initially it helped us to get to know more people in the church mm. because when you have the the, the under shepherd model. Um, you have the the same people for a long time. When people are assigned that comes in, I think it's too easy to say, oh, I'll be glad to take that family because you already have a semi-relationship with them. Mm. And so with the parish model, um, there are people that you may not have known well at all, mm-hmm. and you, you have the opportunity um, to get to know them. Um, I don't know that we have done a great job on this aspect of it, but part of the idea of the model is that if you've got people living in a particular area, that may give everyone more of a heart for evangelism in neighborhoods. And Mm -hmm. I I don't know that we have yet gotten to the point where that's an active ingredient, but it certainly is an aspect I think that's positive Mm -hmm. when you have a group of people who have that connectedness of of an area Mm -hmm. as opposed to scattered everywhere. So you would say uh, success, mm-hmm. uh, the change from the shepherding to parish models. I, I found it in my my parish group to, to be a, a successful thing, yes. That's fantastic. I've never seen this before, before getting here. Uh, I, I'm confident, maybe I, I was kind of vaguely aware of it. Um, I was, I had called a bunch of people even before I think I was in seminary trying to help uh, one of my pastors I was interning for at the time and then my next pastor who became my senior pastor when I was ordained trying to help them in those churches think through their shepherding models and I think you're right most of the time when it came to so-and-so's joining the church oh well I connected with them last Sunday or oh they're actually my friends who visited so why don't I shepherd them Um, these sorts of things they seem to make sense in the moment but I've seen the that that's a higher burden. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think sharing a group of people amongst multiple elders is generally more doable, just practically speaking. Um, but that's not how it ended up for you, is it? So you were you were remind me of the parish group name. Okay, we we have uh, three seventy six and West. Right. We have uh, Murraysville. No, I'm sorry. We have Westmoreland. Originally, it was Murraysville. We have Westmoreland. Mm-hmm. We have uh, Penn Hills, mm-hmm. and we have Verona, Oakmont, and North, mm-hmm. which originally was Verona, Oakmont, and across the river, if you can. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was, the that's my parish group. And it just worked out that I was the only elder that lived in that area. And so I had a large, large group of people. Mm. Yeah. Uh, that's not the side of town I live on. Uh, I was, I've been down in the Westmoreland group, um, since we got here, obviously a year ago, but, uh, so being the only elder basically meant the shepherding group model for you, essentially. It did. Right. Practically. Um, um, that's not how it looks now though, is it? So you have sadly decided to leave us, uh, and take this excellent opportunity down in Fayette County, um, which, uh, I'm still excited to come down and just knock on your door and surprise you one day. That's all right. But, uh, after seeing those pictures, it just looks incredible. Um, but uh, after you now have, have left, um, we've shifted things around a bit, and now we've got two guys up there um, who are coming from a different 
parish group, uh, Paul and Glenn. Right. And I, I anticipate that going well. Well, it's interesting. The whole COVID thing, mm. um, again, back to God's sovereignty and how the way he works things. Um, I honestly believe this in my heart, that I became a better uh, parish elder mm. in um, March and April mm. of this year because I felt the burden. I felt the need to really be in touch with people because um, we were separated. It's easy yeah. when we're here on the Lord's Day together to say, well, everybody's okay and, mm. and not... And so I'm seeing got, them. They're not coming up to me and yeah, telling me yeah, the problems. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so um, I think it really deepened the love for each other mm. uh, in our parish group that we were communicating so much, mm. you know, pretty much weekly for, for everybody one way or another. Uh, I found out which people like to be called. I found out which people yeah. don't like to be called or would rather have emails. You know, that's, and that's fine. Yeah. And, and, um, and so I think um, there was a deepening of that of that relationship mm. um, beyond just the people that come to Bible study, you know, yeah. everybody else in the parish group. Yeah. So let's talk about this from the other angle. Mm-hmm. Um, really appreciate you and your perspective as the ruling elder in the parish group. What about the people in the group? Did you see any, um, and here I'm either talking about your group or just generally in the church when the shift happened did we see any more communication from the members to the elders? You know, it's one thing for the elder to call you, hey, how are you? Uh, haven't seen you in church in two weeks. Oh, you've been on vacation. Well, we miss you. We love you. Versus someone calling you and saying, hey, Dale, um, just hope I can get five minutes of your time to talk about X, Y, or Z. Mm-hmm. Did we see an increase in in folks reaching out to their elders in that way? Through the parish group? Or, yeah. Yeah. Um, Initially, I would say no. Mm-hmm. I mean, to be honest about it, but certainly this year, mm-hmm. I believe it has been more the case. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm thinking to try to be honest about it. There were always a certain group of people that felt comfortable to do that, mm-hmm. um, and most of them were the people who came to Bible study. They just weren't in the, sure. the geographic area. Um, but again, I think it's been heightened by the separation. Mm. I really do. And, yeah. and um, I do believe that people have felt comfortable just calling. can't speak for the other elders. Sure. I, I mean, I know some of them have mentioned it to me that they do. Yeah. I just, when I, again, looking at it from the perspective of a di- different church, different model, uh, when I came here, I, I was surprised at the amount of people contacting through the elders, just going through kind of those updates that we that we do at those session mm-hmm. meetings, um, there was a lot of communication happening. Um, I think that's in, in part due to the model, in part due to just the, the natural kind of Bible study that has flowed out of that, right? Um, I think each parish group meets at least once a month. Is yeah, that right? And I think, you know, I think that's a very big strength of the parish model. We had um, Bible studies before that. Mm. Um, but the groups... And interestingly enough, those groups were set up with the elders, but it wouldn't necessarily be your under-shepherd elder because mm-hmm. they were geographic. Mm-hmm. And so I think it enhances even the fellowship mm-hmm. around the Bible study because the people are in a particular location. They come to know each other. They, they spend time together in Bible study and 
with their elder because they're one and the same. Mm-hmm. So I think that's definitely has enhanced it. Yeah, and uh, that Bible study uh, sometimes is is hosted at a neutral site, right? Mm-hmm. I, I've been to a parish group gathering that was out bowling with pizza. That right. was fun. Fellowship. Um, and uh, But then I would say, at least in the Westmoreland Parish group over the last year, I've been in elders' homes, mm-hmm. and I think that's going to be huge. I, I do think it's important for us to go visit people in their homes, but I, I do think there's something about just opening up and saying, hey, you're welcome here anytime. Um, that communicates something that, that maybe the congregation doesn't necessarily know it, uh, excuse me, notice it right away um, or even after a, a, a little while. But I do think it makes a difference in how we communicate. And, and to be perfectly honest with you, I've just been thoroughly impressed with the parish model here at FRPC. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think there's a comfort level that's gained by people in those mm-hmm. kind of those kinds of environments. There's nothing more, you know, when we fought, when we started the parish groups and we talked about the Bible studies mm-hmm. and it, you know, we kind of set out this goal to say, you know, the Bible study shouldn't go more than an hour. You know, we want people to be excited about coming and you want to start at, you know, X hour and, and by this time. And at least in our parish group, um, the Bible study always runs long mm-hmm. because people want to talk about God's yeah. word. And then the fellowship time afterward, you know, maybe 1030, quarter mm-hmm. to 11. I don't even know if anyone realizes because people have developed a camaraderie mm-hmm. and, and, a, and a, a love for each other. Yeah. And um, again, I think you're right. That's one of the one of the strengths. Yeah. Uh, another thing I've noticed about the parish model, and I'm curious if, if maybe FRPC noticed this um, uh, again in that transition. Um we had one person in charge of like mercy ministry meals at my previous church. We had um, kind of the the mercy ministry person, the funeral person, the um, you know the hospitality person, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. I've noticed that that is actually spread out now across parish groups. That parish groups um, will step up. My wife and I we just began fostering just over a week ago, and we've just been uh, bombarded uh, in such a good way by our parish group. Um, uh, giving us meals. Uh, and I noticed that that doesn't really put a, a larger burden upon another parish group who's got somebody else who may need meals. Um, so I've seen that kind of spread out. Was was that a, originally a part of the parish model or did that develop kind of naturally, organically after the fact? That, that's something that happened after the fact. It wasn't even considered. We did it like everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty much, that, that actually started about the time that you came, Jim. Well, that, Actually, that's the difference, I guess. Right? I guess that's the difference, but I do think it's a good thing mm. um, because you, you know, again, there's a closeness within the people to begin with, and so when you're helping someone that you know, it's a natural, it's a natural thing. Mm-hmm. And um, but that is recent; that was not part mm-hmm. of the original. Well, I just I've from getting here just noticed that and, and said to myself, that's genius. Now you don't have volunteers burning out. Now you don't have volunteers singing out to the entire church and signing up for one person. And the next day something happens. I mean, let's mm-hmm. real life. And there's another email that goes out and everyone's like, oh, well, I've already signed up for, for one. And so you just have kind of these gaps. And I think the parish group model can address that. I'm curious. Uh, we don't have to answer this, but I, I just am very curious what other things in the church's ministry that the parish group model could organically begin to address in the future. Um, I, I would see that as just kind of an outworking 
of the model in in, in large degree. Um, well, I, I would well I would agree, and I think that's part of like I mentioned the evangelism, right? You know that that it takes intentionality to get into some of those things, right? And I think we've been more focused on the Bible study aspects, the fellowship aspects, which are very important, mm-hmm. and maybe. Uh, maybe you can help us get directed in some of those other areas because I do think there are mm-hmm. vast opportunities. You know, the other thing about parish groups is is that um, because they're geographic, I think there there's less likelihood of a sameness in personality and, and the way we approach things that mm-hmm. can happen in under-shepherd groups. Mm-hmm. That's a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. It's a wonderful thing for an elder that that I am forced to learn to relate to people that I might not be, at least at first blush, comfortable with, mm-hmm. and vice versa, you know, because elders have personalities, mm-hmm. <laughs> and sometimes they don't mesh. And it's a great thing. Mm. It's a great thing to see the, the specific gifts that God has given different people and, and to see them meld them together to help each other. Yeah. Well, if nothing else, I, I hope folks have heard uh, just your heart for the people of God in this and and the idea that um, big systematic changes like a shepherding to parish group model have the people in mind uh, really um, I, I would guess that when that decision was made a large part of that decision was we think this will serve our people better exactly uh, and 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 I hope our folks have have learned that for those in our congregation or those listening who uh, may not want to spend the mind-numbing hours of reading for the Masters of Divinity that Brent and I had to go through, but are interested in serving their local church by perhaps aspiring to the office of elder. Uh, if we could take you in a time machine back to 1993 and tell the Dale McLean, who was not yet ordained, or even to 1994 and 5, the young ruling elder Dale, any advice that you would have for folks uh, aspiring to the office in that way or recently uh, ordained to the office of elder? Anything for them? For for those who um, might aspire or maybe don't think they want to aspire, Mm. we would need to be willing um, to open our hearts and our minds to what God wants us to do. I fought against it, to be Mm. honest with you, for for a time. And when you're young, it's easy to use the excuse, I'm not an elder, Mm. you know, that kind of thing. But... um, to prayerfully consider what God's calling is for your life. I mean, God mm. calls elders. And so it is a a thing that will eat at you for the rest of your life, I think, mm. if God has ordained that you are someone who um, could be an elder in his church and you try mm. to rail against that. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a calling. Mm. So you prayerfully consider it. You ask advice mm. of other people. I remember a young friend who felt that perhaps he should not be an elder because he was young and he was single. Mm. That doesn't mean you cannot be an elder. Mm-hmm. You need to open your heart to what God wants mm-hmm. for you. So I, I think prayerfully opening your heart and mind to God's desire mm. for you, that's the key, and to seek the wisdom of other people. Yeah. Yeah, uh, we believe in the plurality of elders, right? We've we've kind of hinted at that all along today. That that you know we're not an episcopal or mm-hmm. episcopacy, right? Where it's bishop led, 
uh, where you have priests over, you know, single priests or, or bishops over areas. And we're not congregational in the way that, that the entire congregation gets to vote up or down every single decision. But we believe that God has given to the church uh, a group of men qualified according to the Bible's qualifications for the office. And so getting that advice from others mm-hmm. is is really key. Um, and you and you pray through those passages mm-hmm. in Scripture in Timothy and Titus. Mm, is right. this is this me? Yeah. And admit in the midst of that, no, it's not. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. if you understand what I'm saying, none yeah. of us are perfect in those areas. Yeah. Um, but we we know in our hearts if we're really prayerfully asking what God wants, whether we meet those qualifications. Right. And we have to trust the advice of others when they absolutely s- say that, that we absolutely. are. Right. And you seek the advice of others. Right. I mean, I. If if my wife Linda had not been on board, mm-hmm. that would have given me pause that's because right. that's part I think of the call that yeah. God gives you through through your wife and others. Yeah, well, it's it's always been interesting, you know. In in my early twenties, even my late teens, I knew I wanted to go to college, go to seminary. Everybody was gung ho about it. Everybody was like, "Yes, you know, we need we need pastors. We need men continuing to go into the ministry." Um, and I haven't heard a whole lot of people encouraging 22, 23, 24 year old men to be a ruling elder. And I've always thought that was interesting. Um, uh, looking back on, you know, I was ordained when I was 26. Uh, and everyone kind of was like, wow, you were 26 and you knew you wanted to be a pastor. So going in and seeking that advice and not being a Jonah, can we say that right to the call (laughs) that God is issuing? Um, uh, that's, I think a very, very helpful thing, uh, to these, to these young men, um, who, I think have the potential and are meeting the qualifications uh, of office who wouldn't think about it because they're 27, 28, 29 years old. And in this 21st century, um, I'm too old to really totally understand how young men think, but I think I have some aspect. It it seems as though in today's world, young men want to have everything kind of perfectly the way they want it before they feel like they're supposed to step into something. That's not going to happen. Mm. You know, you you prayerfully look at what God wants you to do, no matter what it is, and that includes being an elder, mm-hmm. and, and then you move forward. And yeah. if God doesn't want you there, he will put the roadblocks that need to be there to stop you. Yeah. The church needs young men like you and other young men like you. I mean, uh, it's in desperate need. Of, well, we uh, couldn't do it without men like you, Well, genuinely, yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think you're, you're, you're spot on there. I think it's a matter of getting everything, uh, prepared to take the call rather than taking the call and understanding in faith that the Lord will provide. Um, I think it's just, it's mixing those two things exactly. up in, in terms of which comes first. Exactly. Right. So, mm-hmm. well, Dale, thank you so much for your time. Um, thank you for your ministry here, uh, for so many decades at, at FRPC. Um, I'm going to miss you at these session meetings. Um, but we're really excited for you and, and the call that God has given to you and Linda down in Fayette County. And we're excited to see where the Lord takes Psalm 78 teachers and uh, what he continues to do through your life. So thanks for your take today, Dale, and thanks for being here. Thank you, Jim.